And Jesus is going to use this amazing miracle that we're going to read about tonight as an opportunity to trust him, to believe in him, for people who have rejected him to as a call to still to trust him, to put their faith in him, for those who are his true followers to increase in faith. And what a wonderful, amazing miracle to help along with that as we go back to John chapter 11 tonight and start in verse 28. And we look again at Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Jesus has just declared his I am statement to Martha in John chapter 11. And I'm going to read that again to us before we go to prayer, because that is the heart really of this chapter. And this chapter is the pivot point within the whole gospel, I believe. And this wonderful statement then that Martha gives to Jesus. But Jesus is declaring himself the final I am statement in this gospel. What a wonderful one it is. I am, remember, I am has the echoes of Jehovah in the Old Testament. As Yahweh, as God said to Moses, say, tell the people I am sent you. And I am had the idea of I am everything that you need. And of course, now Jesus is the fulfillment of that in the truest sense. And he, in this statement, says, I am the resurrection and the life that you need. Declaring, well, in a subtle sense, his deity, but declaring his power and the power that he has to give eternal life that can only come from God. He not just provides it, but his connection with life and God's power is so close, again, that he can describe himself as actually being these attributes. And now we're going to see in the second half, he will perform really the greatest of this gospel signs, miracles, and prove his power of resurrection and provision of, of true life. You know how uh, there's still some people tend to say today that they look out at uh, certain people's luxurious lifestyles and they see that they have this and that they have this and maybe this home or this vehicle and all these different things. And then you may hear them say something along the lines of, wow, if I had that, that would be real living. That's real living. Well, folks, what Jesus provides tonight as he continues to show us, this is truly real living. He provides real life and real resurrection power. So let's go back to this as we get ready for this second part here. Verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this, Martha? And she saith unto him, Yes, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God which should come into the world. Lord, let this be our heart's response to this all-important question. Believest thou this? 
May everyone in this room in the sound of my voice um, affirm boldly the same response that Martha had. Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe concretely in specific things about you. May that be our heart as well. That regardless of what we face, whether it's the death of a loved one or the loss of a job or loss of prestige or the loss of a valued friendship, whatever the tragedy, Lord, let us in boldness still proclaim this and cling to you in those times. Father, we know, and as we'll see here, you can do miraculous things. You can take our difficulties and bring glory to yourself and increase our faith. May that happen tonight as we continue to study this wonderful miracle of the resurrection of Jesus' dear friend Lazarus. And may we be encouraged to proclaim the resurrection and the life to others this week. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's continue on here. In verse 28, Martha utters this beautiful statement of faith, but then she needs to go. In verse 28, she's going to now get involved her sister Mary. Maybe Mary didn't fully understand why Martha had left, or maybe emotionally she just wasn't ready to leave. But now Martha's going to let her know that Jesus is close at hand. And in the midst of all that tastes takes place in these next few verses, we're going to see the heart of Jesus and how he is deeply impacted and troubled by our lack of faith, our unbelief, and the consequences of that, of death itself. And Jesus has the power to affect sickness and death, but he also is grieved. And we're going to see here, maybe surprisingly, he's angered at our lack of belief and of the results of sin in mankind. And we're going to see his heart and his deep trouble over this. So Martha goes then to get Mary, verse 28. She went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, maybe she whispered it, the master is come and calleth for thee. She wants to, she's making an effort here to call Mary privately, letting her know that Jesus is close by. He's not in town yet, but Jesus has indicated, it seems here, that he would like to see Mary. And this motivates Mary to move quickly in order to have that private moment with Jesus. One thing I should mention here, that word that, that Martha uses as she talks to Mary, she says, the master is come. That also means teacher. In this culture, folks, Women weren't allowed to refer to the rabbis as their teacher or their master because teaching was only for the men. And just in a side note here, it shows us how dramatically different Jesus' ministry is from even the cultural expectations because Jesus calls all to learn from him and he teaches both men and women. They are equals in his sight in that way. And so we need to remember that as well. Martha very freely refers to him as her master, as her teacher. The teacher calls and wants to see you. And Mary then moves quickly. Um, Jesus has not reached the village yet. He's not called the full, caught the full attention of everyone yet. And so Mary, I think at this point, says, maybe thinks to herself, I'd like to just have a couple minutes with him alone. And the reason why that was a challenge 
is because we're going to see here next, per Jewish custom, there were many Jewish people that were with her at this point, and um, they were there to comfort and to weep with her. And this Jewish custom was taken very seriously by the Jewish people. So let's look at this. Verse 29, as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Verse 30, and now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. He's still there. Maybe he's waiting. He's told the disciples, let's wait for a minute till Mary comes out. This is a, a eyewitness detail here that just goes to show us, even in this chapter, there are many um, unbelieving Bible scholars. There are those out there that say, well, this is just kind of symbolism of who Jesus is. This miracle really didn't happen. It's just kind of a symbolic representation of how Jesus can provide better life and all kinds of nonsense. You, I don't need to go into all that. But here is eyewitness details that say, no, this isn't a symbolic story. This is an actual happening. There's all these different details in this to make it clear this is a true historic event. And so Jesus is waiting outside. And here's why it was hard for Mary to maybe get this moment of privacy, because verse 31, the Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily, quickly and went out. They followed her, saying, she goeth unto the grave to weep there. This is what's going on. And from what we know of Jewish customs and helping those that were mourning the death of loved ones. One scholar named um, Edersham says this, the first three days were days of weeping. Jewish people would come in droves to those that had lost loved ones. The first three days they would spend with them weeping and being with them. And then there was deep mourning for the rest of the week. And then even after that, there was a lighter mourning for the remainder of 30 days. Folks, they took this seriously. And if you know anything about Jewish custom in their mourning and their weeping, this is not a quiet thing. This is something that's expressive. This is something that is loud. We would describe this as wailing and making, letting the whole world know literally the pain that they're in. And there is something to be said for that in our modern culture where we just try to hide everything and try to put the best foot forward and the best face on because we don't want anybody to see us involved in any emotion at all. There is something to be said for a culture that says, this is what I'm going through and I'm going to let you know about it rather than trying to keep it all bottled up on the inside. But the point is they were watching Mary and they're thinking, okay, she's going out to the grave now. So we need to follow her and help her in her grieving. So Mary has to move quickly. Verse 32, then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. I think she was probably successful in maybe reaching him. She doesn't have much time. These people are intent on following her to aid in her mourning by the graveside. And maybe she wants to just have a few minutes with him before they do. It seems like she accomplished that. And she says unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Now we have to give her the same um, consideration that we did Martha. Martha was not blaming Jesus. And the rest of the context of what Martha says um, adds to that. She was giving a statement of faith that she believed that Jesus had been able to be there in her mind. 
that things would have been different. Most likely the same thing with Mary. Although Mary is a little bit more emotional here, and you can see that she's even more worked up than Martha. Maybe Martha was one of those that didn't show her, her emotions as well. But Mary is very emotional, weeping, and bothered. There's a potential here. There might be something a little more in her, her um, comment to Jesus. We just don't know for sure. But she is very worked up and bothered and distraught, really is a good word here. And so she's weeping, and then these others catch up to her, and they're weeping. And this idea in verse 33, not just crying, but wailing loudly. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Um, again, weeping loudly, that's the custom Jewish tradition. If you've ever seen a video of a Jewish funeral, even a Middle Eastern funeral. It's not quiet. People let the whole town know that they're grieving. This would certainly be the case here. It almost has the idea of crying out in pain when one is seriously injured. There's no effort to hide the grief. It's on display for all to experience. And this all kind of heightens this idea that I told you about this morning. One scholar named Strachan says this, the conception that mourning reaches its height on the fourth day, it was the fourth day, implies that all hope of any restoration to life by what might be called natural means is banished. Restoration can only be accomplished by a new creative act of God. For these people in front of Jesus, in their minds, there is no hope. They have no expectation of what Jesus is about to do. But what about this response then that Jesus has? It says he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And really it has a picture here of deep inner stirring and emotion. Jesus is greatly moved and bothered by all this. This word can also be used to describe great indignation and even anger. The actual word was used many times outside of scripture, was used, believe it or not, for the snorting of horses. When horses are very agitated, you know, my understanding is you know it very clearly, they start to snort and fall the ground and be very ill-content or angry. And so this word is very vivid here. And there's people that say, there's, there's, there's opinions on this. What is going on in Jesus' inner spirit? Is, is it just because he feels their pain, so to speak, in the death of a loved one? Well, I don't really think it's that, although I'm sure he's grieved by their pain. But Jesus knows he's about ready to resurrect this man. And so this isn't necessarily a response in his own heart to, to the grief of the actual death of Lazarus, because he knows what he's about to do. So what is going on here then? I think there's two things. I think, first of all, there is grief and deep um, troubling in his spirit because of their unbelief. He's realizing, uh, even as he, he is doing this, he's getting ready to do this to increase their faith, they are basically acting as if death and darkness have conquered. Um, that Death and darkness, maybe Satan himself, are in control 
of the entire situation. And Jesus is about ready to point out, no, I'm in charge of the whole situation. And so I think there's an attitude, there there is a um, depth of emotion about their unbelief, but I also think there is anger, outrage toward their unbelief, and also death in general that was caused by man's sin. I think he's looking at man's broken condition and his sin and his unbelief, and he's angered by all of this and troubled in his spirit. One man, uh, D.A. Carson, put it like this, the same sin and death, the same unbelief that prompted his outrage also generated his grief. I think he's grieving at people's slavery to sin, but also angered by it. There's another man who takes a approach to this where he looks at this as entirely Jesus' righteous anger. I've mentioned this book to you before. Dane Ortland wrote Gentle and Lowly. It's a recent, very popular book. I have benefited greatly from studying this. Um, in the midst of this book, it is kind of strange that he you think gentle and lowly, he addresses Jesus' anger in this chapter, but I think it's helpful to at least see his perspective on this, because we don't normally think of this when it comes to this portion of what Jesus is feeling. He says this, the clearest example of Christ's righteous anger in the Gospels is the death of Lazarus in John 11, where the verb uses in verses 33 and 38 to describe Jesus' inner state is one of profound fury. Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus. Now he's quoting a well-known pastor and commentator from the 1800s, B.B. Warfield. Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state not of uncontrollable grief, but of irrepressible anger. The emotion which tore his breast and clamored for utterance was just rage. Warfield goes on to consider the role that Lazarus episode plays in John's gospel as a whole. Note the way he ties in the heart of Christ. Inextinguishable fury seizes upon him. It is death that is the object of his wrath, and behind death, him who has the power of death, and whom he has come into the world to destroy. The raising of Lazarus will become not an isolated marvel, but a decisive instance, an open symbol of Jesus' conquest of death and hell. And then the author comes uh, and, and, and asks us to consider this application of Jesus' anger. As you consider those who have wronged you, let Jesus be angry on your behalf. His anger can be trusted, for it is an anger that springs from his compassion for you. And so, interesting perspective. Uh, I think that this anger is also grief over people's sin, not just anger. But I thought it was worthy of at least pointing out, and I thought it, 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 it handled that aspect of it uh, very well. The, the, really, what I'm trying to show in all this is there is intense emotion going on in the spirit of Jesus in the midst of all this. As he sees man's fallen condition, he groans in his spirit. He's deeply troubled and angered and moved. But then he says in the midst of this, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. They invite him to see the place of their deepest despair and misery. Again, they view this as a place where darkness and death are in control of the situation. 
and Jesus, knowing that he is in control, but in their darkness of spirit and in their slavery to sin, they can't see it. Then we have this most well-known verse in the scriptures, right? The one that every child in Awana wants to memorize first. That is verse 35, Jesus wept. But we shouldn't take that just because it's a small verse. We shouldn't take that lightly. And we ought, to, we ought to encourage our children when they memorize that to really give them context about what is going on here. This is sobering. In this, Jesus wept. It doesn't have the same meaning as the loud wailing that was going on with everyone else. You want to put it this way, the loud, hopeless wailing. Jesus knows what he's about to do, but this word for wept um, talks about responding deeply in his spirit in a quieter way. Um, He's weeping quietly, but fervently because his spirit, he's looking at them. He knows their lack of faith, the devastating effects of sin and death. And it's so overwhelming that in his spirit, the, the, the weeping just wails up, not in a wailing sort of way, but in an intense emotional um, outburst here. It's quiet, but meaningful. It's fervent. And so, again, what do these verses describe, folks? The deeply moved emotions of Jesus over our fallen condition. Our sin causes God, causes Jesus great grief. And their trouble, they're, they're, he's moved in his spirit by this. Remember that when you're tempted to sin. Remember that, yes, Jesus can take and handle your sin. He can provide forgiveness, but sin grieves. Sin should grieve us because it grieves God so much. Grieves the Holy Spirit too. But of course, the people around him, as we've seen throughout this chapter and really throughout this gospel, they misunderstand the depth of his emotions and said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. And that's true. It was described at the beginning. He was one that he loved dearly. But that's not why he's weeping and, or, and he's angered. It's because of their sin. But then some others said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? They're not mocking here. They're legitimately stating maybe uh, they, they uh, know of Jesus or they've, heard, they've known of the faith of others. And maybe they're saying here, Here's this man that people have put so much faith in. Couldn't he? I mean, he's done all these miraculous things. Couldn't he have um, helped this situation? Couldn't he have come and healed this man? Again, just describing the power of Jesus in this situation. But both, really, it also is a statement of, of unbelief as well in this. And so as as Jesus gets closer to the tomb, we see here that he groans again in his spirit. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. And we're going to see here that Jesus is glorified by powerfully restoring life. Man's unbelief dishonors God and his works. He will make that clear to Martha in just a minute. But Jesus' power over death will bring glory to the Father and the Son, which is the highest purpose of this whole thing. The highest purposes of this miracle are to bring glory to God and to increase people's faith. And we will see both. 
But Jesus, again, when he's confronted by this unbelief, is groaning and is deeply disturbed. It describes here the grave. It was a cave with a stone that had been rolled or laid in front of it. Um, there was a lot of different tomb situations. Um, this was a, was a common one where it was a grave uh, dug, a cave dug into rock and a stone put over it. And Jesus says something as he uh, gets close. Everybody's expecting him to mourn too and expecting him to grieve. So as they see him in anguish, that's to them somewhat normal. But what he says next had to shock everybody that was standing anywhere near him. Because nobody's going to expect what's going to happen next. Verse 39, Jesus said, take ye away the stone. And this is the last thing, right? In fact, it's so surprising that Martha here immediately jumps in. And by the way, this is Martha revealing her lack of expectation in what Jesus is about to do. This shows us she has no idea what to expect next. And just not to be gross here, but just for an understanding, Jewish burial custom did not include embalming. It would prepare the body with spices, but after four days, it would still be um, a really difficult situation, right? And that's what Martha's jumping in here. Have you ever been in one of those situations where I, we have this with, with four boys as, as we're raising them and different things come up? I find myself saying to Leslie at times, well... I never thought I would have to say this. I never thought I would have to address this, but I guess I'm going to have to. I almost see Martha here as to that point. Well, I never thought I'd have to tell somebody that you don't roll a stone away from um, a dead person's tomb after four days. Maybe she's trying to, she's appalled, but maybe she's trying to help him save some face or something. But she says, Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time, you understand, he stinketh, for he's been dead four days. The idea here, some translations just say there will be an odor. Um, whatever, uh, you get the point, right? And Martha is appalled here at what's going on. She nor anyone else there has any idea of what's going to happen. And this is where then where Jesus addresses her and shows her, again, her need for faith. Jesus saith unto her, um, he says, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Well, what is he saying here? He is saying that he's pointing out that those with true faith will, through what he's about to do in this resurrection miracle, have a fuller understanding of what he can do in the final resurrection. In other words, eyes of faith will reveal that Jesus can provide eternal life in resurrected bodies that will be fully honoring to him. Jesus is going to use this incredible miracle that's about to take place to show people that he has the power to resurrect us at the end times, to give us all new bodies. And he's saying those with faith will understand and will have their faith increased, and that will bring God glory, and will bring the Father and Jesus and the Son glory through what's about to take place. 
she's appalled by what's going on. There's great grief. And Jesus takes this opportunity again to remind his followers, God is going to receive glory in this. And your faith is going to increase by what I'm about to do. And then it actually takes place. Jesus' power over death that brings glory to God. And they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and listened to this prayer and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. You understand what he's saying there? He has already prayed for God to, get, to um, do, provide resurrection, even before he's gotten to this point. In other words, this was in the plans a long time ago between the Father and the Son, before anybody else had any idea. Jesus has already asked the Father to do this thing, and this is a prayer of thanksgiving as it's about to take place. He knows, God, you're about to resurrect this dear friend of mine because I've already asked you, so I'm just going to thank you in front of all these people. Thank you for already hearing my prayer and doing what you're about to do. Total confidence in the power of his Father to resurrect this man. In verse 42, and I knew that thou hearest me always. Lord, I know, I know what you're going to do. I'm fully aware of that, full confidence. But these people, they're struggling with their unbelief, Lord, and their lack of faith for them. And he's praying this out loud so that they can hear him, this personal prayer to the Father, he's praying out loud so that all can hear. Because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And Jesus knows that what is about to take place will increase faith and will bring faith to those that have so far have not had a relationship with him. The main purpose in this is not for his loved ones to have joy and comfort, although that will happen. Martha and Mary and the other disciples are about ready to be comforted and rejoice in a way maybe they've never had before. And there's, that's a part of it. But the real reason Jesus is doing this, the main reason, is um, to glorify God and to bring faith to those uh, that need it and increase faith for his own followers. That is the purpose of this. And let's not forget that. And so then when he says this prayer, finally, verse 43, and when he had thus had spoken, he cried out with a loud voice. And notice he addresses the dead man specifically, Lazarus, come forth. And many scholars have pointed this out over the years, and I love this statement, and I think it's true, that Jesus had to call Lazarus specifically, or every dead body within the sound of his voice would have responded and gotten up. But he says, Lazarus, you specifically come forth. And the power that he has here, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Well, how did he accomplish that? Well, just a technicality here, but they probably wrapped both legs and then the body. It would still be hard to walk. But Lazarus is not going to ignore the commandment from the master, from his savior. And he comes out and appears before them, and it says his face was bound, it says in the King James, with a napkin, that's a face cloth, bound hand and foot with linen strips, and a cloth 
And then Jesus in the midst of this glorious moment where all of these people are looking on this and marveling, Jesus still remembers the needs of the individual. And what does he say? Loose, unbind him. Guys, he's going to be really uncomfortable right now. Can you help him out? In the midst of their amazement, Jesus remembers the needs of the individual and he is taken care of. What a marvelous thing. And the belief, the faith that is increased, and those that trust in Christ, and the glory that Jesus receives, the Father and the Son receives, it is accomplished. The purposes of God are perfectly accomplished in this incredible miracle. I couldn't help but think back of our own um, experience with God's miraculous healing. It wasn't a resurrection. That's certainly in this way or another, but in a modern sense, it kind of felt like that. And I know that we've talked about, I mentioned this before, but I just had to bring this up in praise to the Lord as I was thinking about a loved one that we prayed for recently, Leslie's uh, father, uh, Jim Motter, and how he called her right before he was going to the hospital and she encouraged him that he needed to go and he had COVID and pneumonia and three different types of pneumonia, if you remember the story. And he increasingly got worse and he started deteriorating very, very quickly. And we prayed and we asked for a miracle. And even when the doctors came in, the nurses would say, well, there might be a chance. And the doctors would come in and say, there's no chance. Just prepare. He's, he's pretty much, they were saying, he's as good as dead. And yet we continued to pray because as long as he was breathing, we still had a chance. And we knew that God can bring life and can heal. And you know the story. Um, after they did some different things and took him off some medication, the doctors were surprised to find out that he could actually start to breathe on his own a little bit. And then he started to get better. And then they took him off all the medications that allowed him to think for himself again. And he was able to move and to um, make motions and to, under, and to show that he understood things. And amazingly, he got better. And today, now, we just found out uh, last week as Leslie was calling him and talking with him. I don't know if the doctors approved this yet, but he's already driving. <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> Hope they're not with us tonight. No, they're okay. They might be telling on them. But folks, it's amazing. But we shouldn't be amazed because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He knows how to give us to bring life back, how to give us life. And that's just one example of God's ability to change the situation. Well, in a more dramatic way, one that was really dead for four days no hope. And Jesus says, through this, I'm going to show you, I am the resurrection and the life. What's he saying? I'm the only way to resurrection and eternal life. You know what's going to happen? We're going to see this next in the next few chapters. Unfortunately, there will, well, fortunately, there will be some that trust him. But what will also happen is this will hasten, hasten the calls for Jesus's death by the Jewish leadership. We can't have this getting out. People find out about this and this miracle, they'll believe him for sure and follow after him. So this, in fact, um, hastens 
the um, sir, the seeking out of him and his eventual death on the cross, this wonderful miracle will quicken that. Jesus knew that, and yet the importance of increasing his followers' faith and glorifying God outweighed any persecution that he would experience and he would follow. Jesus is glorified in demonstrating his resurrection power. And folks, one day, all of us that have truly put our faith and trust in him, we will be glorified. We will receive our resurrected bodies. We um, will experience fully that everlasting eternal life. And through that, yes, we will enjoy and appreciate the experience. But the most important thing is through those resurrection bodies and our glorification, Jesus will be glorified and our heavenly father will receive glory. And our faith will be perfect. And that, above all else, is the most important reasons why we should proclaim that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So let this motivate you today. As we talked about all throughout the day today, let's proclaim Jesus and his ability to give us, to provide for us eternal life and resurrection. Lord. I hope this was encouraging to our folks today. It should be. We should marvel at this. That a, a man or a savior that can raise someone from the dead certainly has the ability then to provide resurrection for us that we will have new bodies and be raised to eternal life with you. And we can be confident in that for those that are your children that have trusted in Jesus by reading this story again and marveling at the power of Jesus Christ to give life. Let us marvel in that this week. Let us share this eternal life, this life-giving power through the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Let us not be stingy in this, but let us proclaim Jesus, the resurrection and the life, and be faithful in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.